0: Welcome to the Book Hub, an online event space hosted by Luther Seminary. This episode, from the event Lead Anyway, and remember you do not have to do this alone, features Sarah Chiavari, the author of Finding Our Way to the Truth, Seven Lies Leaders Believe, and How to Let Go of Them. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Pastor Laura Phillips, and I am a solo pastor at Runner Lutheran Church, um, just north of Sioux Falls, South Dakota, for those of you who would have no idea where Runner is. And I had the good pleasure of meeting Pastor Sarah through the Moses Project, where Sarah serves as a mentor and exemplar, in addition to the many other things that she does in her life. In that season of of being part of the Moses Project through Grandview University, I traveled on a journey with 19 other rural pastors. And throughout that school year, we learned a lot about one another, but one thing that we had in common was that we all shared inadequacy with what we were doing. Every one of us felt at one time or another that we were not enough, that we weren't good enough, that we should be doing something better. This was a commonality. And while that sounds terribly depressing, it was highly encouraging that we all had this same experience. Um, Sarah touches on these feelings that we all had in our experience as leaders within churches, but it, it can be leaders across the board. And she shares these very, um, uh, these lies that get into our head, she shares them, but she also shares in her book, reasons that might be behind those lies that we believe and also ways to navigate through them um, with integrity and with authenticity and with healthy boundaries you will love sarah and you will love this book that she has written finding our way to the truth seven lies leaders believe in how to um, let go of these lies and it's one that you will recommend to your friends and i say recommend because you will not Tell them this is a wonderful book and give it to them to read because you'll want to keep it for yourself (laughs) and pull it off of your shelf and be encouraged again and again with her experience and her wisdom and her warm wit. And so without further ado, I would just like to introduce to you pastor and author and speaker and coach and consultant and mentor and friend to many, Sarah Kamari. Thank you, Laura. Thank
1: you so much. Those are, oh, they're such kind words and, and just a joy um, to get to know you through the Moses Project. Um, gosh, thank you to everyone who is taking a bit of your day and is part of this conversation. As I was scrolling through, I recognize some of you, and it's great to see you again, and also to see people that um, I've emailed back and forth uh, on various projects, like Leanne, so good to see you also. And then to look and see there's lots of people that I have yet to meet. So um, we'll just jump right on in. and. I'll share a little bit about this book, kind of how it came to be, and then Don and I are going to have a conversation together about um, coaching and uh, how that kind of connects for us in ministry. So this the book, Finding Our Way to the Truth, is, I feel like it's really my heart work at this point in my ministry. Um, I would say for the last nine years, I've really focused a lot and been really called into listening to leaders in the church, um, to pastors, to deacons, to people serving at adjudicatory levels and looking at what are the things that suck the life out of ministry and um, what is additional learning? that we can gain from neuroscience or from the social sciences to help us understand the dynamics that we're in. So over and over again, I've heard leaders say, oh my gosh, it was so helpful to learn, for example, the difference between shame and guilt. And that comes from Brené Brown's research. Now I have language for something I was experiencing in ministry and I didn't know um, I didn't have words. I knew I was feeling something. I knew it did not feel life-giving. I knew it did not feel integrated with my heart. I knew it was sucking life out of me, literally, but I didn't have language to understand it. And because I didn't have language, I struggled to articulate what did this actually mean in my life? What did this actually mean in my ministry? And like Laura said, it. I mean, there is this beauty in getting together with other people and hearing my struggle sounds so much like your struggle um laura said uh you know it was great when we got together in the moses project because we all learned we had these inadequacies and places in our ministry where we did not feel worthy um and then she said it was great (laughs) because when we don't know that other people are struggling Shame loves to get really close to us and say, Oh, honey, sweetie, it's just you. When in fact, it's not just you. You know, um, Jesus calls us into relationship, not just with him, but with a whole community of faith. Uh, Now we know from neuroscience that we're wired for connection, which makes COVID like incredibly hard and painful in all of these ways. but God wired us in such a way that we are connected to each other. So when I was given this opportunity to write a book, um, I I was really upfront with um, Fortress Press. And I was like, I don't know if I can write a book, but I'll just keep trying. <laughs> I'll just keep writing, and we'll see what will come. And so it was really a collaborative process and i knew that i loved story like i loved hearing other people's stories i loved finding meaning in the stories my own life stories i loved finding connections and i love playing with words and so as i just started writing you know the book kind of emerged and that's what beth gade from fortress press said you know she's like this is a process that's spirit-led you just write and we'll just see where God takes this. And I really took, I really took that to heart. Um, So what emerged was a framework of lies that leaders believe, lies that I've seen, you know, in all of these conversations I've gotten to be with, and lies that I know so well, because they're like right in my head all of the time. Um, And so using that as a framework, I just started thinking about stories from my my own ministry, my own life, and ones that I knew had connected in, um, like presentations I had given or in groups that I had I had um, facilitated. But what the book allowed me to do was to really, really unpack those. And for me personally, there was this huge blessing, huge blessing in writing the book. There was also like huge moments of cursedness, like, why did I say yes to this? And if I just don't do it, like, what's the worst thing that'll happen, you know? And then uh, January, two years ago, um, I lost the book, like lost it on my computer. And that was really when I was like, what's the worst thing that would happen if I just didn't do this? (laughs) So i wrote a book i mean i wrote a chapter in the book titled i must finish what i start and you know this this was one of those things where i did actually finish the book but that lie in other times has like pushed me forward when it probably would have just been good to say no that's not my nut to crack or that's not what god's calling me to bring into the world so one of the blessings surprising blessings for me was looking was experiencing healing my own healing around some stories that had really owned me oh didn't anticipate that like looking at my own healing around some stories that i i thought i had reckoned with but there was always a little bit more that needed to be um put into the light of day and to be wrapped in you know prayer and compassion because um Part of my call is I'm the director of spiritual care in a care center. And because of that, I work with all these medical people. And if you talk to a wound nurse, first of all, like, God bless the wound nurses, because that's, that's like hard work. You know, wounds are like, they're, they can have an odor and they can really be just, you know, Um, but you talk to a wound nurse. And one of the things they do with a wound is they like scrape away the the top healing that's happened, so that all of the infection is gone. The wound can't heal from the top because what it will do is it will seal the wound shut and it won't heal. Then it becomes an abscess. When you care for a wound, you have to go down to the very bottom of it. You have to go down to the very bottom and get that cleaned so it can heal from the inside out. And I feel like that's so much of, um, the work that the Holy Spirit is always calling us into, you know, going to the depth, going to the depth of the wound. So, um, God's healing can be breathed into that so that, um, you know, we can know once again, we are Satan sinner redeemed in the love of Christ. So for me, that was a huge blessing in writing the book. And the framework of these seven lies uh, comes from having listened to all of, of, uh, to having listened to other leaders in the church. And Fortress Press um, asked me to really focus on this like intersection where I live, which is Church, theology, and the medical world. <laughs> right? Like, like um, I know the language of C diff and MRSA and V uh PHQ nine and like your BIM score. I can talk medical ease like with the best of them. So I also occupy this world um, of healthcare. And so they wanted a book that wasn't only going to be attractive to people who served in um, church ministry, but who also served in healthcare, who also served in education, people who served in nonprofits, people who were kind of living a bivocational life, you know, and wanting to kind of connect soul and role. So that was one of the things I was always... Mindful of as I was writing the book (coughs) was who is who. um, There are many. Hopefully, there will be many different types of people reading what's here, and because I'm trying to look at things that kind of glob onto us as at a soul level, some of these lies we're not just going to find them in one um, arena of our lives. They're going to show up everywhere. So. Um, okay, I'm going to be really honest. So whenever I see like, like, I'm going to say like, high powered authors, you know, doing one of these things, they always read from from their book. So I'm going to read from my book a little bit here. Okay. <laughs> I'm just having fun, right? Okay. It's from uh, the first chapter. I think lots of us are ready to stop playing truth and lies. We just have too many other things we'd rather do in our lives. Playing this game siphons an untold amount of joy and fulfillment from serving as a pastor, leading a school, being a solopreneur, raising a family, or caring for patients. So many people across numerous fields tell me that their work isn't as much fun as it used to be. They don't feel as connected to the mission, to their colleagues, or even to the belief that their work makes a difference. And making a difference was the primary motivation for choosing their particular career. They daydream about doing something better or more meaningful while scrolling through job posting sites, Our days you'll find me scrolling too. The lies we look at in the following chapters don't just show up in our work though. They're everywhere we go because they've gotten attached to us on a deeper level, a soul level, and that is what makes them so dangerous. They can strangle the life out of us long before we die and replace the sense of well being and hope with regret and resentment. I believe that God wants better for us, that we were created for better, and that we do better for the world when we stop playing truth and lies. The intent of this book is to help us find a sense of well being and hope again, even when the game back, beckons us back for just one more round. So the lies that um, I talk about in the book, and of course there there are many more that could be listed in a book. And there's many variations, of course, um, are these. So uh, I don't know enough. And I must finish what I start. I must follow the rules. I have to be nice, people must like me. I'm responsible for it all and I need to be the right type of Christian. So the thing about these lies is that they're tricky. You know, um, they're not super obvious to identify and up until a point, they're actually helpful. Like I want a surgeon who knows enough. Like, I'm gonna go get my knee replaced. My surgeon needs to know enough of proper medical procedure. Um, but at some point, these do not serve us well. At some point, they don't serve our hearts well, they don't serve our work well, um, and they actually can, can drive us to a place where we feel like our best option is hiding. Um, so, you know, my husband is a principal in a middle school and um it's like full throttle you know with COVID and all of this and i think he well he and i have an argument once in a while about the second to the last chapter i'm responsible for it all and he's like okay you wrote that book but i don't know if i totally agree with you because a lot of days i feel like i am responsible for it all like i get that i get that you're Like the ask that's being put out there is enormous for you right now. Um, and I still stand by, we are not responsible for everything because there are things that are simply beyond our control. And I think it's a piece of God's grace to be able to say, okay, I'm not responsible for that. Um, so what we did in the book we we take these seven lies and then through a kind of a process of just paying attention examining what's going on and then applying the learning so i offer that in each chapter then i offer um something that's more healthy to think about so if i don't know enough i want to turn to honesty i want to be able to say to someone who i trust someone who's with and for me like i I'm struggling and I feel like everyone else knows what's going on, but I never took a class in seminary that taught me how to understand church budgets. So what does it mean when we're in the red, right? Like we wanna have those people in our lives. Um, I must finish what I start. Hey, moderation, can we look, can we assess? Is this life-giving? Is there energy? Does this seem spirit-led? I must follow the rules like discernment, you know? asking ourselves questions. Is this serving the mission? Is this serving God? Boundaries, okay, have have to be nice. How do we get up from under that lie? We work on our boundaries. We work on our boundaries. Um, And I've taught classes where we start talking about boundaries and we're just flummoxed when we get to having to come up with examples of boundaries. Because for a lot of us, we want to make other people happy, or we were never told it was okay to have boundaries, or they were never modeled for us. Or if people did have boundaries, then other people judged them for those boundaries. So, um, you know, it became really important to me to have a focus on boundaries in the book, because I realized it's an area where, uh, for church leaders, it's tough to know what are life giving boundaries around our time and around what gets to occupy our thoughts. People must like me. Uh, that one goes way back <laughs> for me to like the beginning of time, and uh, we want to bring integrity. Okay, kindness always. But how do we move to a healthy place? It's to focus on integrity. I'm responsible for it all. Um, we want to move towards this place of hope because that allows us to remember, I'm actually not responsible for everything. Um, We hope in what is unseen, not in what is seen. And then I don't know if anybody else has struggled with this lie, I need to be the right type of Christian, but I feel like this one, I bump up against this so often um, that I'm not the right type of Christian for somebody, um, whether it's somebody in the extended family, or it's someone, you know, in the care center, Um, and authenticity, right, it's so easy to let idolatry kind of come into our thinking, that we should, we should allow ourselves to be molded in who we think other people want us to be, but the more I've sat with that, the more I just think, that's idolatry, Um, I want to be connected to other people, you know, I Want to live with kindness. I want to value their experience and and how my existence is impacting them. But when I need to be um, to find that sense I'm okay from other people, then for me that's a red flag that maybe I'm moving away from authenticity and moving away from just knowing, you know, my call in this moment, is to be who God created me to be. And then to just keep unpacking that through the course of my life. So that is the general scope of the book. Um, It is a quick, fast read. I mean, it's not a big book at all. And um, I remember Beth saying, well, you want to have a long enough so that like the title can show up on the spine you know so, so you can have the title they're like well that's why you're the editor you've got all these great great thoughts um but that's the the sequence and the flow of the book and um it's a really quick read what i wanted people to experience what i want people to experience as they read it um i want people to feel resonance to their own stories i hope it's like a gateway into people's own lives Um, I want them, I want people to experience hope. And, um, as I was, you know, writing the book and also in my prayer journal, one of the things that kept coming up for me was beauty. Like I wanted to write something beautiful. And that felt just really core, like something that was life-giving and funny it's funny. Like people, friends who've read it are like sending texts saying rolling on the floor laughing, but like my friend sent it in like the, just the letters, you know, the memes or whatever. And I'm like, I don't know what that means. What does that mean to me? Like, okay, that's a good thing. Not ralphing up my guts. That's not what it means. It means like rolling on the floor laughing. Okay. That's good. So I wrote the book as if you were in my head. Like I tried to be as authentic and unfiltered in it. Um, and for that, I'm, I mean, I'm grateful. It's as authentic and real as, as, um, as I know how to be at this point in my life, you know? And, and I feel like I'm grateful for that. And, and for me, that's success i thought along the way if the only people if the only people who find value in my book are my children that will be a blessing and then my son was like mom i don't have to read your book do i and i was like <laughs> he's 12 and i'm like okay first of all i love that you're just putting a boundary up for yourself like you're you're asking i really don't want to read your book it's not about rc cars it's not about physics of how the mars rover is doing its thing like that's, that's his world. Um, and then it just got really clear for me. If I write a book that only is, and this I hope this does not sound super narcissistic because it doesn't feel that way. If I wrote a book that is only a blessing to me, it will have been worth it. Like just the process of healing that happens when we're able to sit with something for a long time. And then when I got it in the mail, I danced around our house several times and I was like, kids are like yeah mom that's great you wrote a book you're super obnoxious and annoying like well I'm always that way right because I'm your mom but now I have a reason to be that way so I know there have been lots of times in my life where I haven't allowed myself to rejoice because of those those um you know self-critical thoughts that would say oh you know you shouldn't rejoice you should you need to be humble and And like tone it down. You don't want to look at X, Y, or Z. And this is one of those things I'm giving myself permission to say, no, I get to rejoice for a moment. So thank you for listening about this book.